Well, if you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to John chapter 20. Uh, I will reread, uh, although it'd be much more interesting if Pastor Russell read the story with the sound effects, um, but I will read the biblical account from John 20 uh, where that story was based off of, and then we'll spend a little time talking about it. That is important news as we're about to hear in the resurrection. This is the account from John 20. I'll read verses 1 through 18. It says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloth lying there in the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For yet, as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and she wept. As she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. With that, a brief prayer, and I invite you, maybe that's something you've never done, to ask God to just open your heart to his word and the gospel, and that you would know of this resurrected Christ. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this amazing, wondrous news that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, and all who trust in him can have faith and salvation. All who trust in him by faith can have salvation in his name. And Father, I pray that you would just open our minds and hearts to this word that we've just read, that we would understand not just the Easter story, but the story of who you are and how we were created. And Father, we thank you for Jesus and we pray these things in his name and all God's people said. Well, my aim this morning is twofold to be clear. I do want you to know the story of the whole Bible. That is why we have all this on stage together. Not just the Easter story, but the story of who God is and who we were created to be. 
and what God has done for us in Christ. And the second thing is, I want you to understand and live in everlasting hope, that there is hope available to all who believe in a risen Christ, and that is for you and I today. You see, what we just read from John 20 was the account of the first Easter morning. Mary Magdalene had gone to the tomb early while it was still dark, but this Easter morning was far different than the Easter morning you likely have experienced, vastly different. For her first Easter morning, she did not race off to sunrise service with an Easter lily in her hand and her best Easter dress. No, she came to the tomb to cry. She was sad. Upon arriving at the tomb, she had found the stone, as it said, rolled away the grave empty. And startled by this, of course, she ran to Peter and John to tell them about it, that the body of Jesus had been stolen. As if the events of the past two days, from her perspective, were not hard enough, now Jesus' body was gone. They had taken it. So they ran, they took off to the tomb, and the text it says one, of course, faster than the other getting there. And then some sort of belief in seeing it from at least one of them. But in, in the end of the text, in that passage there before verse 11, it says, they just went home. It's kind of anticlimactic, like many of us will do. But not Mary. Mary stayed behind. She was distraught. And who could blame her? For she loved Jesus. But now he was gone. Her sadness, of course, was certainly understandable. So stooping to look inside the tomb one more time, she is met with the appearance of two angels who ask her this profound question. Why are you weeping? Seems obvious to us, but it's profound all the same. When I thought about that question as I prepared for this message, I thought quite a bit about that question asked. You see, Easter Sunday is a day that we celebrate and come together, and for you, it's generally a joyful day. You get your fancy tie on, your best dress, and you come to worship at church. And it's an exciting day and a day of rejoicing, as it should be, for Jesus Christ has risen but if we're honest, Monday comes, and then Tuesday, and then on so goes the week, and the difficulties of life settle back in. Tears and sadness and loss, painful things. Life is hard, and it's full of loss and disappointment. In fact, no one is exempt from it. It has been said that loss is life's common denominator. But even amidst the pain and hardship of life, you and I hope and long for something more. Author C.S. Lewis said it this way, we all seek to be reunited with something in the universe from which we now feel cut off. You see, life wasn't ever supposed to be sad. We can't even relate to that. But it wasn't always that way. But to understand that, you need to understand not just the Easter story, but the story of the Bible, the story of God from beginning to end. We certainly can relate with Mary's sadness at the tomb from her perspective, but we have to understand how it came to be and what it will be one day for all who trust in a risen Savior. You see, for us to rightly understand who God created us to be, we need to go all the way back to the garden of Eden as we journey through the story of the Bible by way of four trees. Well, three and a half, if you count this one. The tree of knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden. The stump, 
from the shoot of Jesse would rise up from this stump, the cross being the third, and of course the tree of life, as we read and heard from in the book of Revelation. As we read earlier in Genesis, God created, and you must know this, everything was good and for our enjoyment. At creation, there was no sadness, there was no sickness, there was nothing that ever died. God created you and I for a purpose to have abundant and full life, where enjoyment was found in him and him alone for his glory. And he gave that to Adam and Eve in the garden. That was the intent. He places them in the midst of the garden and walked with them and dwelled with them and created them to have the fullest of lives. Think about that for a second. Who doesn't want that in this room? The fullest of lives. You see, you and I all desire to have a full and abundant life, free from worry and pain and doctor's appointments and sickness and all the anxieties, all the things that worry you and stress you out. We want to be free of that. And that's exactly what God had created in the garden. And the responsibility for living that life before a holy God was placed on Adam, the first man, and we recall what Adam was to be, the gardener. Everything God made was good, but everything was not yet in the garden. And God wanted Adam to exercise his dominion by expanding it, as if to say, Adam, I've given you a start, now go do the rest. Be fruitful and multiply. Garden the whole earth for the glory of the Heavenly Father. But he failed. You see, God is a God of holy standard, and he has rules to live by. The command was clear to obey God and trust in his word. God gave everything to the man and woman in the garden, everything except for one tree. He gives them everything to eat from for the sustenance of life except this tree. He says, don't eat of that tree. One thing, just one, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And this tree and its fruit was off limits, set by the boundaries and love of God for their good. Any parent of a child in this room knows that when you love your children well, you set boundaries for them. They're born of love. Our kids don't like it, right? But they're out of love, and God set the same boundary in this tree. You see, trees remind us of life. They bear fruit. They provide shade. They're full of green life and leaves. They cleanse the air that we breathe, provide oxygen for our very lungs, and yet the first tree reminds us of how very quickly things can go wrong. You see, at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God's generosity was put to the test. God had given them everything, and yet Adam and Eve wanted more. They were fueled by their own desire, as we relate to. And, and the more that you understand that, the more you relate to that. And yet we're introduced to another character in the garden scene, the serpent, the great deceiver, crafty and deceitful, the devil, Satan, and, and he creates doubt and suspicion about the truth of God and his self-giving nature when he says to them, did God actually say you couldn't eat of this tree? In other words, the deceiver lies to them and causes them to believe that God is withholding something from them, right? Something good. We get that, right? When you and I are tempted towards things that we desire to feed our appetite, we look at that and then we look to God and say, you must be withholding for, from me for something good, for, what, for that which I was created for. So why would you keep this from me? 
the very thing that we're created for, and yet God's word says, do you trust me? Do you believe I know what's best for you? So much so that he said, the day that you eat of that tree, you will surely die. You see, the first tree holds the key to life. And yet what does Adam do? He listens to the deceiver and he eats of it anyway, feeding his own desire to do what he wanted. You and I relate to that well, right? We do what we want when we want. But yet he was created to make the dust of the earth fruitful. He himself becomes part of the dust. And in so doing, the Garden of Eden became the wilderness of the world. The curse of sin and death was now a reality. God makes his judgment on the man and woman that they would be now separated from him forever. And they would labor and toil and work. They would experience pain and suffering and sickness and sadness. And eventually they would die. Physical death. Sin and death now entered into the world through the Garden of Eden. Reminding us in Romans 5.12, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all have sinned. You and I belong to that all men. All of us guilty, stained with sin, born into the same kind of punishment and death. And it would be tragic if the story ended there. But even in Genesis 3, God's great faithfulness and grace is seen as he pronounces the judgments of sin on man's disobedience. He also pronounces and produces this glimmer of hope in the story that was about to unfold. You see, for when he cursed the serpent for his deception of the man and woman, he declared that he would put enmity or strife between the offspring of the woman and his offspring. But one day his head would be bruised by the seed of the woman, and, the pro and in the process, he shall bruise his heel, Genesis 3.15. Man would be kicked out of the garden and into the wilderness, the punishment that you and I experience as we live in the wilderness of the world. We, like Mary, that first Easter morning, understand the sadness and heaviness and loss in life. That is why she is weeping, and we get that. She has lost Jesus in her mind. She doesn't know what's to come. You and I identify with loss and sadness in that way. But you see, God was unfolding a grander story to return the abundant life we were created for. You see, God's heart for us is to thrive. We see his heart in words of like Jeremiah 31, 12, where he says, languish no more and be like a watered garden. Later in that chapter, he says, he will turn our mourning into joy. He will comfort us and give us gladness from sorrow. He will feast our souls with abundance and his people, all who trust in him, will be satisfied with his goodness. All that he desired, he was unfolding in the second tree. The second tree is more like a half a tree, right? The stump with just shoot, this little shoot from the root of Jesse popping up, springing forth life. You see, a stump symbolizes a tree that is cut down from all its life and vibrance. We get that, just like sin and death. No leaves, no fruit to bear. But a tree, nonetheless, because it has roots that grow deep into the ground. And it still has the ability to bring forth life. And the beauty of God's story is that he can bring forth life out of darkness and brokenness. Friends, hear this loud and clear this morning. Despite the difficulties of life, you can never descend to a place
beyond the reach of God. Even you who are most confused and discouraged today by all that's in your life, God's love and redemption can lift you up and return to you abundant and full life, and it can be yours. That's what you see in this little stump of Jesse. You see that God made a promise earlier, as we read from Isaiah 11, that one day the stump of Jesse, a shoot of life, would spring forth and bring salvation to God's people, and a reversal of the curse of sin from the first tree. Well, many of us know, as we've been studying as a church body, First and Second Samuel, that the king, that King David is the son of who? Jesse. We see that we, we also must know, rather, that King David isn't this, this salvation for people that he died long before Isaiah penned these words. So God must have been referring to a different king rather than David. As great as David was, a man after God's own heart, the scripture says, he couldn't reverse the curse of sin and death. In fact, he failed too, like Adam. According to what we heard from Isaiah, this shoot from the stump of Jesse would bear the fruit that blesses all nations and exhibit the characteristics of God in a spirit of wisdom and obedience, as we see in Jesus. This little shoot, a branch, a little hope coming from the wilderness. While years of waiting go by for people who are trusting in the promise of God until we learn about what? A little baby born in the town of Bethlehem. A descendant in the line of, you guessed it, Jesse, David. Jesus comes to earth as God's son. A shoot from the stump of Jesse. The reason he appeared? To destroy the works of the devil in the garden and reverse the curse of sin and death forever. And Jesus does so because he grows up and he keeps the whole law of God perfectly. The opposite of how Adam had failed. Even in temptation, he trusts God in his word. And he comes to bring about abundant life to all who believe in him. In fact, he said that he was the resurrection and the life, that he offered abundant life, and only the thief came to steal and destroy. And so in another garden, on the night of his arrest, he would begin his weekend journey by going to another tree for you and I at the cross. Listen to this. Jesus went to the garden to be obedient to the Father, undoing Adam's disobedience in the garden. Adam and Eve hide behind a tree, naked and covered in shame. But Jesus hangs on a tree, naked but conquering shame. Adam and Eve begin in paradise only to be forced outside the gates due to the curse of sin. But we remember Jesus dies outside of the gates only to end up in paradise, reversing the curse of sin at the cross. And that is the third tree, the cross of Christ, where Jesus gives his life as a payment for our sin. His body is bruised for us. His blood is shed for us, for the punishment of our sin. And Jesus comes forth now as the seed of the woman, just as prophesied, the second Adam. And you know what he did? He passes the test that Adam failed. He crushes the serpent's head as his heel was bruised. And what Jesus did on the cross was to satisfy God's anger and punishment towards sin and to win us over and cover us by his blood. And for all who believe this and trust him as their source of hope and salvation, we read this in Romans 5, 17 through 18. For if because of one man's trespass, 
death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Well, back at the tomb, Mary stands weeping, saddened because she did not yet fully understand what Jesus had already told his disciples. Remember, he told them he had to die in order to reverse the curse of sin. But he also told them that he would raise himself, that he was the resurrection and the life, that he would raise himself in three days. And so when the angels say to her, why are you weeping? It's profound. It's just about then that she sees the shadow of a figure behind her that says the same thing. Why are you weeping? And follows it with even a more profound question. Whom are you seeking? Jesus asks this question of all of us in this life. What are you looking for to bring fulfillment and joy? Stop and think about that for a minute. What are you looking for to find fulfillment and joy in in life? It's as if Jesus is standing next to Mary, the Savior of the world, is standing right there as he would be standing right here for you today and, and ask you, what could you possibly be looking for in life? other than the only one who could actually give you abundant and full life. You see, Mary doesn't recognize Jesus right away. It says in the text there, whether she didn't recognize him because he is now in his glorified body and she uh, doesn't understand what he looks like, he looked different in the glorified body rather than his earthly one, or whether her eyes had not been yet opened to even receive this, much like the disciples on uh, the road to Emmaus in Luke 24, their eyes weren't open to him yet. We don't know for sure. But what we do know is the text says that Mary supposes Jesus to be the gardener. After all, who else would be there at such an early hour? And she tells him, sir, if you carried him away, just tell me where you put him so I can have the body back and rebury him. That was her thought. But the detail in this text is no coincidence. Who else would Jesus be but the gardener? He had returned the second Adam to restore the garden. G.K. Chesterton said, or penned this, on the third day, the friends of Christ coming at daybreak to place to the place found the grave empty and the stone rolled away. In varying ways, they realized the new wonder. The world had died in the night. What they were looking at now was the first day of a new creation with a new heaven and a new earth and an assemblance of a gardener. God walked again in the garden, not in the cool of the day, but in the dawn. It was this point where Jesus says her name, Mary. Such a beautiful part of the story. He calls her by name. The compassion and personal nature of Jesus Christ calling our name, us by our name, knowing it. After all, he is the great shepherd of the sheep and he knows us by name. It's at this point that Mary's eyes are opened and she turns to him, immediately clings to him. Rabboni, teacher, Lord, Savior. Jesus was alive. He had fulfilled the promise of generations and and prophecies. He conquers the grave. He had come to do what he said he'd done, reversing the curse of sin and death for all who, who believe, which is why then he asks these penetrating questions to her. Why are you sad? You can almost understand better why he's asking, and whom are you seeking? Who are you looking for? His point, 
the resurrection and the life stands right before her now, stands right before you now, the heart of a good and loving God to bring back all that was lost and broken at creation. And he says to you, why are you sad? Who else do you need but me? There is no need to be sad anymore. There is no one else you need to find in life but a risen Savior. And what's most interesting as I studied this is that when you combine the two questions that Jesus asks of Mary with the two questions that God asked of Adam in the garden when they sinned, do you remember what those were? When Adam and Eve sinned, God comes to them and he asks them, where are you and who told you that you were naked? In other words, you're hiding, aren't you? And why are you hiding? Because you know now of your sin. Why are you weeping? Because sin always produces sadness. And whom are you seeking? That is the gracious call from Christ that recognizes we need help and saving from sin. And God would now fully clothe our nakedness and shame of sin with the righteousness of Christ. That's what he did in his life and death. He would replace sadness with the hope and joy of a risen Savior, the gardener had returned. Colossians 1.18 reminds us that Jesus is the firstborn of creation, the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, the second man, and the last Adam. And he was there to start to restore the garden. It's no wonder that Mary clings to Jesus, as we would have. But what's most interesting when you read this text, Jesus' reply is, don't cling to me for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Well, what's that all about? Wouldn't he have wanted Mary to know of his love and that she would want to embrace him and never let him go after an event like this? But it's important what he said. You see, later in the day, Jesus meets with his disciples in the room and they're locked in there for fear of the Jews. They are stunned by the news of his resurrection. They are afraid and sad and confused. They don't know what's going to happen to them. And they don't know what it all means, but Jesus comes to them and he brings peace to them and a reassurance of what he had done and was beginning to do. He shows them the holes in his hands and feet. He shows them the holes in his side where he had blood spilled out and the serpent had indeed crushed his heel, but he crushes the serpent's head. And now he was planning to turn the wilderness back into a beautiful garden. And then he would send his disciples out with the wonderfully good news, news of victory over the grave, over death, over sin, and the hope of new things to come. All authority lost by Adam regained, the world reclaimed by Jesus. And the reason why he says is you can't cling because all the world needs to go out with that news. He was sending them out. Jesus gave them hope to say, I'm going to the Father. That was what he did in his ascension. I'm going to my Father, your Father, He calls them brothers, sisters. He says, I'm going back and I will come again. So you now have to carry that news out to the world that they have, that you have seen the Lord just as Mary proclaimed. And their mission would be to tell everybody about God, what he had done in restoring the garden, what he had done in Christ being raised from the dead. So they couldn't cling to him for now. But he also tells them that they don't need to fear because he'll come back again and the gardener will return again, which is the hope that we all have for who believe in Jesus Christ. 
which leads me to the last tree that we read from in Revelation, the tree of life. You see, in the closing scenes of the book of the Bible, John sees a new heaven and an earth coming down. That's hard for us to imagine, right? That one day that will happen. And what does it look like? In the Bible, it's described as a garden with a river. And on each side of the river stands the tree of life. You see, friends, one day soon, all who trust in Christ, and I will add, only those who trust in Christ by faith will dwell with God in a restored garden where there will be no more sadness, no more weeping, no more pain, no more sad doctor's reports, no more watching people that you love die, no more death. The abundant life that we were created for will be realized once and for all. He will be seated on the throne, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, and all who are thirsty as we are thirsty for that kind of life will be satisfied forever, all things made new. And so if you are here this morning and you need true hope, and if you are searching for the good life, that thing that always seems to elude your grasp, and wondering where you can find it, great news, it is found in the person of Jesus Christ. And you can have it. That's the beauty of what God says. It's a gift to you. And if you're here and you want it, he is calling your name, asking, where are you? Whom are you seeking? Know that he is calling you home. The tree of life is that which bears fruit and brings healing to all the nations. And one day the Lord Jesus Christ will return to this earth and come back for his children. But you must take hold of him. You must trust him by faith. You can't just be a good person and attend church every Sunday. You must take hold of the gift and receive it. Repenting of sins and trusting in Christ. Response to his voice calling your name to salvation. Understanding the whole story from the creation to the fall into sin to the payment of Jesus at the cross to the promise of Christ's return for all who believe. In fact, at the very end of John 20, it says in verse 30, that all these things were written, all these things that Jesus lived in and, and, and he did miracles, all these stories were written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name from beginning to end, from the Garden of Eden, turned into a desert because of sin until Revelation 22, when that desert is turned back into a garden the resurrection of Christ means our resurrection and hope. You can have a living hope, and I pray that you take hold of it today. For Christ has risen. He has risen indeed. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, you are gracious and kind, loving God and creator. Created each one in this room to live and experience the abundant life, the good life. And Father, we know the pains of sin and death. We know them well. We know our aging bodies that ail and ache. We know relationships that are broken. We know anger in our hearts, resentment towards others and towards you for things that have happened in our life. And Father, we so long for the good life that you created and, and we praise you that you promised you would give it again in the person of Jesus Christ and make it possible that you would reverse the, the curse of sin and death 
And in Christ crucified, you did just that. That he took our sin and shame and he took it at a cross and it was buried and he rose victoriously so that you and I could have life in his name. Father, thank you for the cross. And I pray for anyone in this room who has never trusted Christ by faith that they would do it now, that they would not delay. For the Lord Jesus Christ will return one day and we have no idea when that is. It could be today. Father, what have we done? Whom are we seeking? There is no other salvation and name under heaven and earth but the name of Jesus that saves. No other hope for this life and the life to come. So Father, may we take hold of the gift of salvation. It is free. Nothing we can do to earn it. Receive it by faith. Repent of our own sins and turn towards Christ as Savior. And for all who trust in him and seek forgiveness of sins, they, they get that, they receive that, and they are promised a new and abundant life forever. Father, we praise you that you have come to restore this wilderness into a garden. And one day we will live in it fully and dwell fully with you. May you be praised that you have given us our living hope, Jesus Christ. May we sing his praises, a resurrected Savior. May we sing it now, and we pray these things in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said...